Well, last Monday they started to build. Or at least to demolish. Uh, But they started to build. So I couldn't resist uh, thinking this morning with you about building. About building. The Bible has lots to say about building. And we're going to look together at Nehemiah chapter 3. Uh, please have it open in front of you. There should be a Bible in the, in the pew. If you whip that open uh, somewhere to the left of center, and uh, you're looking for page, I don't know, someone tell me what page? 486. You're looking for page 486. And uh, the parallel with uh, us is not quite the same, but nevertheless, the principles about building remain true. Uh, maybe ES and H will pick up some tips on the podcast uh, during this week. Nehemiah chapter 3, I didn't ask Helen to read it all, that seemed too cruel really. But if you look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, you will see that essentially it's a list of names of people and what they did, the building work that they were a part of. If you're looking to name a child, this is a great place for inspiration. There are some marvellous names here uh, for you to choose from. At first glance, Nehemiah chapter 3 looks like one of those chapters in the Bible that is totally meaningless. A long list of names, like the genealogy at Matthew chapter 1. A long list of names leading up to Jesus. And if you know the book of Nehemiah a little, you will know that there are several chapters in Nehemiah devoted to these long lists of names. And commentators on this book of Nehemiah have been quite harsh. They encourage us to gloss over them, describing them as colourless and an intrusiveness and intrusive words that interrupt the unfolding drama of the story. That seems to me quite cruel towards Nehemiah. And you wouldn't want to be cruel to Nehemiah, would you? Because he's a very short man. You know that, don't you? Anybody know why we can be certain that he's short? Nehemiah, thank you very much indeed. He's even shorter than me. And so we must ask ourselves, why does he spend such time giving us these lists of names? Well, I hope as we look at this this morning, we'll discover that looking amongst these lists uh, of seemingly monotonous names are some important truths, principles, and challenges for us as we, like Nehemiah, play our part in building God's kingdom. By way then of introduction, the whole of uh, chapter 3 records the building of the walls. And it uses the nine gates of Jerusalem to identify the various parts of the wall. When we're talking about directions, we use pubs most of the time. It's past the ferret and dog and then turn right. Well, Nehemiah uses uh, walls, you will note uh, gates, you will notice verse 3, the fish gate, verse 6, the Jeshana gate, verse 13, the valley gate, verse 14, very attractive, the dung gate, and verse 15, the fountain gate, and so on. And he uses uh, these gates 
to help identify the areas of the wall around Jerusalem that he is talking about. And Nehemiah takes us counterclockwise around the whole of the city of Jerusalem, beginning, as we'll see in a minute, with the Sheep Gate. And he describes each section, he describes the gate, the tower on the wall, and who worked on it to rebuild it. And it's said of chapter 3 that it gives us more information concerning the geography of Jerusalem at this time than all the other passages put together. But it's much more than a geographical, historical record of what happened. It is that, but it's there to teach us, to encourage us, and to instruct us. So let's get into uh, some of the detail of this chapter. And I have uh, a number of headings in order to pin our thoughts. The first heading is this. As they began to build, there was a concern for the worship and honor of God. It's true they were building a wall, but why was it so important to build that wall? Their concern was for the worship and honor of God. It was about getting the wall built, but it wasn't just about getting the wall built. Building the wall was a means to an end. For not only would they rebuild the wall, they would go on to rebuild the city. Why? In order that the city might be a testimony to all the nations around that their God, the God of heaven and earth, was the one true God. And it would mean once more, with the city rebuilt, that this worship, that the worship of the one true God could take place again at the temple. You will notice from uh, the verses that Helen read in chapter 2, and from what you know of Nehemiah, that when Nehemiah turned up, Jerusalem was lying in ruins. The city had been smashed, the temple had been crushed, and it was, in, in ordinary terms, a complete embarrassment to the other nations. But more importantly in those days, if your city was in ruins and your place of worship was crushed, all the surrounding nations that worshipped other gods would come to the conclusion that your God just could not hack it. Your God was not big enough, powerful enough to look after you and to ensure that your city and your temple remained secure. So it was God's honour that was at stake as Jerusalem lay in ruins. Raymond Brown writes, it's not merely that Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Far more serious than the physical desolation is the spiritual disgrace. It is a reproach to the name of God, a matter for scorn and abuse among Jerusalem's pagan neighbours and visitors. The sight of those collapsed walls for well over a century had created the impression in the pagan mind that Israel's God had abandoned sorry, that Israel's God has abandoned his rebellious people and is no longer on their side. And that was what drove Nehemiah and the people. We must get these walls and this city rebuilt for as long as they lie in ruins. Our God remains dishonored among the nations. And so their concern was for the honour and worship of God. And you see this most clearly because of where they started. They started at the Sheep Gate. Starting at the Sheep Gate was, the very, uh, was a very important principle of saying, we are going to start by putting God first. 
The sheep gate was the gate nearest to where the temple would be built. It was the gate through which the sheep would go in for sacrifice, which was at the heart of their Old Testament worship. They began in a place that said to themselves, to one another, we're going to begin by putting God first. And that's what they did. They rebuilt the sheep gate. They rededicated to the Lord that the worship and honour of God in that place may begin once again. As we build, what is our priority? As we build, are we concerned primarily above all else with the honour and worship of God? They were saying, we just don't want a city. We just don't even want a temple in our city. But we want our God to be honoured. And it strikes me that that's a challenge and an encouragement as we start building our annex. We don't want to be a church with an annex. We primarily want to be a church that honours and gives glory to God. And so we're looking not to a building but we're looking to everything that we need as a church to be those people that puts God first. And if the annex helps us honour God, and if the annex helps us express the love of God, and if the annex helps us welcome people into God's family, and if the annex becomes a place of prayer and worship, of counselling, encouragement and support, then we will build it. Because it's for his honour and primarily for his honour. It's not about our own comfort. It's not about nicer buildings to meet in. It's not about having a a better set of equipped buildings. It's not about what we want. But it is about his honour, isn't it? Hello? It is about his honour. It is about imagining already, just there to my left, uh, a welcome area that's, that's bright, that's open, that's spacious, that helps people as they step into these buildings, sense something of the welcome of God's people and therefore sense something of the love of God. Isn't that what it's about? Let's pray for that welcome area even before it's built that there will be the tangible presence of God in that place because we're honouring him and we're putting him first. And people will come in through those doors and they'll look through that first dark window which will be uh, a clear plane into this space. And they will know and understand that we worship a God who uh, uh, spans the generations because this church doesn't look like it was built yesterday. We worship a God who is big because we built a big church in his honour. Witness to a God that we honour and that we worship week by week week. So we want the worship of him to be facilitated, our service of him to be enabled, and our witness of him to be expanded. And so our buildings become a means to an end. That we might, like they did in Nehemiah's day, say it's God's honour first. That's what matters more than anything else. That's our motivation. Church uh, projects can be very dangerous things, can't they? They can become all-consuming. They can become the end rather than the means to the end. I was encouraged again to hear what Angela said at our church meeting just uh, 10 days or so ago about how the building, the real building of God's people has gone on at speed over these last few years even while we've been planning 
to build the annex. We're putting God first here. And the rest will follow on as we look to Him and as we trust Him. So they started with the sheep gate. We started with the hut. But the ends are the same. The worship and honour of God. The second uh, heading is coordination. There was a coordinated plan, a a strategy to uh, this rebuilding. There has been lots of effort already put into the planning of the building off to my left, your right. God isn't against plans and strategies and goals. Jesus had a clear strategy for his mission. Won't look at it this morning, but he had a very clear strategy for his mission. Paul also had a very clear strategy for his mission. What we want to achieve and how we're going to achieve it, there was a plan and a strategy. And one of the dangers in church life, because churches go on for a long period of time, is that the strategies and the plans wane and we just do what we did last year. And then we do that again and then we do that again. But here, there was a coordinated plan a coordinated strategy. The Bible talks about faith as people not going round in a circle, but people who are on a journey. And if you know anything about journeys, you may have the end of your journey in mind. You might also have where you are going to get to your end point in mind. If you use an auto route or a sat-nav system, you'll put in the end uh, goal and you'll also put in the, the destinations along the way. We are a people on a journey. There are destinations along the way as we travel. And for the people of God in 444 BC, their next stop on their journey was to build this wall. Something that they had struggled to do as God's people for many years. And Nehemiah set in motion a plan and a strategy for achieving it. Pray over this summer for the leadership of this church as in different groups they will be thinking and praying about some of our little goals for next year. So two uh, words that will come out of this passage now in just a second. Coordination and cooperation. If you notice in uh, verse, uh, verse 4, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 3, the phrase... Uh, the next section, and then next to him, and next to him, next to them, occurs five times in this chapter. Beyond him, beyond them, beside them, uh, is in this chapter over 20 times. There's a picture here of people with little goals, joining together to meet the overall objective. Every person, every group, had a definite place of work assigned to them. Every person knew where they belonged in the whole picture. Everybody knew what they were responsible for, which section was theirs. And they were to rebuild their section of the wall, either from scratch or to repair it, depending on the extent of the damage. What a wonderful picture of the church. What a good picture of how we should be as God's 
people, each of us or groups of people, knowing our own sets of responsibilities, knowing the area of the building that has been assigned to us, not having to worry about other areas, but being able to focus and concentrate on the areas that are our responsibility. Every member knowing where they belong, knowing what's expected of them, knowing where they fit into the whole. Our church will grow strong when each of us in our groups know what our responsibility is and take those areas of responsibility seriously, concentrating on it, knowing we don't need to worry about other areas, but we are responsible for our own. More typically uh, today, uh, churches, if they had to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, might not express such a neat set of coordination that we read here in chapter 3. See, sometimes we hear about uh, churches where people are standing around rather than getting on with their section of the wall. Or people in churches and they're not sure which section of the wall is their responsibility, which part of the building is theirs to get involved in. There would be some, of course, always in all churches who are faithfully building their part of the wall. And probably those people who are faithfully building their part of the wall are trying to build somebody else's part as well because they're conscious that not everyone is building the parts assigned to them. There would be others still perhaps walking away or just sitting by their part of the wall looking at it in lament or disbelief. Maybe some have worked hard on their part of the wall, but either side of them, nobody else was building and they got tired and lonely and disillusioned, so they stopped building as well. And many other scenarios we could paint of life in churches around our country, around the world. What an inspiring picture here, where everyone knows their place and is getting involved with their part, working in partnership with one another, there was coordination. But also, there was cooperation here in Nehemiah 3 to get the job done. Verse 1, Nehemiah mentioned that the priests are involved, including the high priest. Verses 12, 16 and 17 mention the rulers of the land getting involved. Neither group thought it was beneath them to get stuck in to this work, to erect the wall. The church, like Nehemiah chapter 3, is an all-hands-on-deck operation. Everyone to be involved, active in a particular task. There was no class distinction, no clergy and laity. There was no secular distinction. You'll notice in verse 8 that the goldsmiths got involved they did some bricklaying. The goldsmiths repaired the next section of the wall. It's a bit like the Lord Chancellor doing road sweeping. But the goldsmiths got involved. It wasn't beneath them. This was God's honour that was at stake. All hands on deck, everybody. Goldsmiths were involved. The perfume makers were not too busy smelling their scents. They got involved too. The temple servants, verse 26, got involved. The merchants weren't too busy selling. Verse 32, they got involved. Even the guard at the east gate, verse 29, they got involved. The honour of God was at stake. Everybody needed to pull together to see this wall built. Everybody in the kingdom needs to pull together. The worship of God is our primary focus. There was no sexism either. 
Now think how many years ago this was. This is quite revolutionary. We read in verse uh, 30, sorry, in verse 12 of, of Nehemiah 3 that the ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, Shalom, son of Halohohesh, uh, rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, his daughters got involved and were worthy of a mention. Now, I don't know what your daughters would be like at bricklaying, but praise God they had a go. They were in it together. Everybody building. There was no racial divide. Notice that the men of Jerusalem worked alongside the men of Jericho, verse 2, the people of Tekoa, verse 5, the people of Gideon and Mispas, verse 7, Zananoah, verse 13, Beth Hakerem, verse 14, Benzer, verse 16, and Keilah, verse 17. You get the picture. There were no divides. This was everybody involved. Why? Because God's honour was at stake. Are we not in a nation where God's honour is at stake? Hello? Will you get involved? Will you get involved? Don't be above it. Don't be beneath it. Don't be too busy for it. Don't be too distracted by it. Don't think you don't fit in because you haven't lived in Suffolk for 300 years. Whatever. Nothing should divide us, people of God. We're in it together. We're in it together. And so you see this inspiring picture of coordination and cooperation. And it struck me as I flicked through this grapevine what a marvellous illustration this is of what we're talking about. If you look at page three, you get the family news. Six of us will sit round tomorrow morning and we will plan the pastoral care for this coming week. It's not a one-man show. This is a a team effort. If you flick over uh, to page five, when when it records our thank you to Jackie, the first thing Jackie said uh, a fortnight ago was, I couldn't do it without a great team around me. If you flick over to the Annex fundraising, there's a team behind that. Anyone tired yet? Yes, there's an exhausted team that were up all night at Vauxhall, uh, not at Vauxhall Farm, but at Keith and Heather's for that youth camp. Flick over to one of the testimonies on page 8. It's a baptism. Every week before a baptism, I mail out to about 10 or 12 people, and I say it's a baptism this Sunday. Can you do your job? It's a team effort. And that's not to mention the welcome team, the coffee team, uh, people that print the service sheets, so on and so forth. Always a team involved. The New Look Brigade Night, that's a team effort. People playing their part. More testimonies. The workday on page 11. I think we should give a round of applause now for the property maintenance team and all those that have helped them for so many weeks. They've done absolutely tons of work willingly, voluntarily. They've done more than could ever have been asked. And we wouldn't have dared ask. We're so grateful to you. A team effort. The garden party. You get the picture so we could go on. The whole of this grapevine speaks of togetherness, coordination, cooperation, and we see these things coming together in wonderful ways. But there is a little challenge here. There is a little challenge here because the next word doesn't fit in with all the others really. And that's this word of conceit. You see, verse 6 of chapter 4 says that they finished building the wall. But verse 5 of chapter 3 says there were some people who would not pull with the rest. 
It's always sad when this happens. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. This is verse, three of cha- verse 5 of chapter 3. But their nobles would not put their soul- shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Is it because they were nobles? Was it above them? Were they too busy, too tired, too distracted, too rich, too poor? I don't know. Were they too hurt? Had they fallen out with somebody? Had the last project not gone well? What had gone wrong? But the sadness of these people that did not pull with the rest. And there is that sadness sometimes in our life together. When for whatever reason there are people who don't, can't, won't, unable to pull with everybody else. And the words here are quite strong. It's about uh, the shouldering the work, the, the oxen tied together. And the, the image is agricultural, of course, a stiff-necked ox, someone who just wouldn't pull with everybody else. They wouldn't work as a team. They wouldn't work under a supervisor. They refused to pull, and they went in a different direction. And in Judges chapter 5, uh, Deborah is celebrating uh, a great victory for the people of God, and she's celebrating how everybody worked together And then in the middle of this celebration in Judges chapter 5, there is this lament because some refused to be part of what God was doing. Some refused to join with the others. And it was a sadness to her as the leader of the people at that time. And there's always a lament, always a lament when we're not all pulling together. And it's a challenge to us, isn't it? Each one of us in the area of building that God is calling us to. But then much more encouraging is this next word of commendation. You see, why did Nehemiah write this list? Why was it in his memoirs? Well, I think we're getting nearer to the truth. You see, in in an environment, in a culture where criticism abounds nobody's going to get involved. If somebody hears uh, a a critical word or a critical spirit, they'll think to themselves, well, I'm not sure I want to get involved because if I get involved, I might be criticised like that person was or like they were. And so when criticism abounds, people stop getting involved, people stop volunteering, people stop offering themselves. And so Nehemiah creates a culture that is the complete... Antithesis, the complete opposite of criticism, in ensuring that he commends each and every worker, that they might be encouraged. And in an environment where people are encouraged and supported, others think, well, I'll have a go. Look at the support and the encouragement there is in that place. I'll have a go as well. And what comes across to me in this list of names is that each person is an individual that Nehemiah valued on his overall team. And I don't know what it was really like, but I get this picture of Nehemiah sitting back in his armchair. The end of all of the activity, the wall's been built, and he's sitting uh, on the terrace. The evening is warm and the sun is sinking. And uh, uh, it's a Panama cigar moment, but you're not allowed those anymore, so you know what I mean. That That kind of feel. He's chilled. And he's just reminiscing with God about all that has happened to build this wall. And it was a heck of an achievement because they'd been trying to do it for many years and hadn't succeeded. Now in 52 days, under his leadership, 
recommitted to the honour and worship of God, they'd succeeded. And so with the glow of success, perhaps he's sitting on his chair, reminiscing about all that's happened, especially the contributions that each have made. And maybe he's going at verse 11, remember Malkijah and Hashab, bless them. They worked so hard, they even got another section completed. And at verse 20, Nehemiah reminisces. And then there was Barak. He managed two sections all by himself. Thank God for Barak. And then at verse 13, there was Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. Oh, they went at it like the clappers and they not only built the valley gate, but also the whole 150 yards down to the dung gate. God bless them for their uh, willingness and their zeal. And then at verse 27, thank God for the men of Tekia. They were great. They did another section even though their nobles wouldn't help. And so it goes on through the chapter. These are people Nehemiah knew and loved and he thanks God for their involvement that they were on the team. Personally valuing each person and their contribution. We must do that together. I must do that, but we must do that. We must do that together. We must encourage. We must commend. We must thank. We must value. We must appreciate. We must always find ways. If appreciation is rain in the desert, we must do it as often and as liberally as we can. And so encouraged and enthused, they completed the war in those 52 days. Why? Because their motivation was the honour and witness of God. We might not get the annex completed in 52 days, but our motivation is the honour and worship of God. But whilst they're building day by day out there with their diggers and their whatever they will use, we're building in here and we're building wherever we are. The real kingdom building continues. It's not fenced off, it's open. Open to the world around us, drawing other people in to this great project, the kingdom of God, where we cooperate where we coordinate, where we commend, and where we have an utmost concern for the honour and worship of God. It was amazing what they achieved. They were amazed. And uh, you get that sense in Nehemiah that they got to the end of the wall and they built it, and they were chuffed to bits with what they'd done. They were thrilled that God had used them, even with their enemies watching and laughing, they'd built this wall. May we be equally amazed at what God continues to do as he builds through us together. Let's pray.